Welcome to the Tear Out the Tags podcast, where you learn to remove the labels that are holding you back. Your life is increasingly defined by simple words that are meant to categorize you. These words are turned into hashtags, making you feel stuck with a limited definition of what you can be in this world. Tags, though helpful online, are ineffective at fully describing how big and extraordinary you are. Let's get started. I am so excited to announce my special guest today, both because she is a new friend of mine and because she is a brilliant woman who is going to teach us the world of tags from a financial sense of mind. At the age of 27, Rachel Richards quit her job and retired. Yes, you heard me right. She retired living off of 15000 per month in passive income. Rachel is the best-selling author of Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. She is a former financial advisor and real estate investor with almost 40 rental units. By making the topic of money management fun, entertaining, and simple, Rachel has helped thousands of millennials work their way out of financial despair. Welcome to the show, Rachel Richards. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So you and I haven't known each other very long, but we hit it off really quickly. We met through the Total Life Freedom community, uh, which is a mastermind that we're part of. And I just am amazed by what you've accomplished, especially at your age. You've written two books and you also are on a ton of podcasts and you have a course and you're doing all these amazing things to really teach financial independence for really a lot of people. But your one of your focuses is for millennials. So tell me what inspired you to write this book? Yeah. So I wrote the book because I used to be a financial advisor. And after I left that job, all my family and friends were still coming to me for financial advice, which I loved because that's just what I'm passionate about. I began to wonder though, you you know, how come they're not reading on their own or learning on their own about finance? And then I had this aha moment where I realized, oh yeah, personal finance is boring for most people. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. It's intimidating. And no wonder people don't like to learn about it. So I thought to myself, well, how can I make this topic sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. I've received a ton of you know, positive feedback about it, but what I hear most often is that it feels like you're sitting down with a friend having a cup of coffee and talking about finances. So I, hopefully I achieved my goal and it's really resonant. You have, <laughs> you have, you. it is. It's so easy to digest. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I think it's resonated the most with female millennials, mostly because I am one and that's, that's kind of who I envision speaking to. Yeah. I love that. And I just saw that you posted that you've sold 20,000 copies of money, honey, yes. which is for those listeners that don't understand what a feat that is. You self-published this book and tell me how much did it cost you to complete the project and self-publish? So I was super frugal at the time. I was worried I wasn't even going to make back my initial investment. So I tried to be very, very cheap. I, I published it and launched it for under $600. That's incredible. That's unheard of. It's unheard of. And you <laughs> yeah. sold 20,000 copies. So just so people know how good it is. It's so needed. We're in a world right now where money is shifting. The economy is changing. We don't really know what's coming. So how can I, as a millennial, because I'm totally your target audience, <laughs> how can I prepare for the now, the world we're living in today? Yeah, there's a few things. Like if somebody came to me and they were like, I have 10,000 extra dollars right now, what should I do? I would say in this order, Number one, pay off high interest debt. Normally that tends to be credit card debt. Number two, make sure you have built up your emergency savings. You know, have at least three to six months worth of living expenses set aside. Cash is king, especially right now. And number three, invest in the stock market. 
And I could go into, you know, why you shouldn't time the market versus why you should. I firmly believe you shouldn't try to time the market. There's this phrase time in the market is better than timing the market. And that's so true. So it doesn't matter your age, your income, what time of year it is, get invested in the stock market because time is your biggest advantage. Okay. So that's where I would tell someone to begin. But also what I've learned this year is that there's this misconception that having a full-time salary job equates to job security and income security. Right. And what I've realized is that's not true because if you're 100% dependent on a single source of income, there's nothing secure about that. Right. So what, what I talk about now is this concept of income diversification. That just means having multiple sources of income. That way, when one income stream is reduced or lost, you still have other income streams keeping you afloat. And that's been important for me more than ever. And I think that's something that I'm starting to see more millennials do is have multiple sources of income. And that's really the best way to safeguard your finances. I love that. You know, my husband and I talk a lot about finding an industry that's recession proof. My background is oil and gas and he's in the construction field and both industries have seen high, high highs and low, low lows recently. And I don't know that there is an industry that's recession proof. So to your point, being able to diversify and getting income coming from different areas and industries is so valuable. Now, why do you think they aren't teaching us this when we're going through high school and college? Like, I can honestly say I did not learn this until really very recently and then getting an opportunity to meet with you and learning more from you as well. I don't know, but it's, it blows my mind. I mean, we are truly in a financial education crisis at no point in our lives. Are we taught how to manage our money? And then we're left as young adults to figure it out all on our own. So no wonder we see so many young women dealing with these feelings of guilt and shame and embarrassment for not knowing how to manage their money, which is so sad to me because we weren't given the resources we need to succeed. So that's why I do what I do. I'm, I'm very passionate about that and just wanting to deliver the content in a way that's easy to understand so people can get their finances in order. I want to bring this around to a tag because, and I want to speak to an old version of myself. So I'm going to give you kind of a, an avatar of the old me. Okay. So I'm a single mom. That's a tag. I am financially not super responsible. Um, I make the excuse a lot that I don't have a lot of extra money, yet I can find money for a pair of Freebird shoes, for example. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I've got two mouths to feed. I'm totally responsible for them. I'm in a house that maybe I can't afford to be living in. And I've got all these tags surrounding, this is my situation. I can only make so much money. This is all I'm capable of. And maybe add in any tags that you see that are common in this type of avatar or in the millennial audience that you have. And then how do you, how do you get me to get out of my way when it comes to my thought process about money? Oh, these are all such great questions. So yes, there's so many tags, so many things we tell ourselves about money that basically serve as limiting beliefs. They just hold us back. So for example, there's never enough money or I'll never be able to make more money. You know, there, money is scarce or c- cursing money for not being there for you when you need it the most. Those are all examples of tags and sort of having a negative relationship with money. Yeah. So I actually grew up with some of those. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I grew up in a really wealthy County. And just to give you some context, some of the kids in my high school, they got brand new BMW convertibles when they turned 16. Oh, okay. wow. Yeah. Okay. 
pretty unrealistic bubble to yeah. grow up in. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I just always felt like I didn't fit in. You know, my family was always on a budget. We weren't going on family trips. I felt like I didn't fit in. And that's not the way you want to feel in middle school and in high school. Right. And I remember telling myself at a pretty young age that I didn't want to end up like everyone struggling with money. Right. I didn't want to have to operate on a strict budget for the rest of my life. I didn't want to have to live paycheck to paycheck or borrow money from family and friends to make it to my next paycheck. I wanted to be different. And I realized what I did then would either set me up for wealth or for poverty. Mm. But first I had to overcome those tags because growing up in a household where money felt scarce, money was a stressor. I grew up with those tags of thinking, oh my gosh, money is this stressful thing in my life. Right. There's never enough money. So I, it's, I mean, it took me years to kind of change my mindset, years of reading and empowering myself to make smart money decisions. But here's the one thing B, that I did that I think made the most difference is I started doing affirmations. So I started saying things out loud that I wanted to be true. So you already heard some of those tags and those negative money thoughts. So compare it now with this. I love money. There's always more than enough money. Money comes easily and effortlessly to me. I'm grateful for money and all the things it affords me. Mm -hmm. Like that is such a positive, healthy relationship. And when it comes down to it, you're comparing a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. Yeah. And if you can do those affirmations, you know, once or twice a day for 30, 60 days in a row, that's when you'll start tearing out the tags and having a really healthy relationship with money. Yeah. And we do this with tear out the tags. And it's funny because a lot of people don't think that you need to say it out loud or they feel silly, right? They're like, oh, I'm talking to myself in my closet or wherever we do our affirmations, but we do an exercise similar where we, we write down um, the tag and we define the tag that we're wearing and we rip it up and we throw it away. So it's the opposite. And it really needs to be piggybacked with an affirmation and speaking out the positive languaging, but also dropping the weak words that we tend to use when we say things like, I'm trying to save money, or I mm -hmm. just want to save a thousand dollars, right? So we use these words that are future words. And so we're never going to reach them. If we say, I'm trying to, you know, this podcast, if I said, when I started it, I'm trying to start a podcast that tends to kind of push it down the road into our future. And as we know with money, the longer we wait to start, the further away you are from those financial goals. Yeah. And you make a good point, which is to state affirmations in the present tense. Mm -hmm. So you heard me say money comes easily to me, not money is going to come easily to right. me. And so that's a great clarification. I'm glad you said that. So tell me, I want to, you have a story and I've, I've read it and I've heard it a couple of times. And it's one of my favorite stories that you share. And it's about really being bullied. And I am going to use that word because I do feel like that's what it was. Yes, totally um, agree. You had a boss and you were treated very improperly. And so I'd love for you to share how you were treated. Tell us a story and then share with us the tags that come that came from it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. This is a tough story. And I like to share it because I feel like so many people have been there. So many people have worked for a verbally abusive boss or yes. a micromanaging boss. And that sucks. <laughs> yes. That's why, I, that's why it related to me. Cause I thought, yeah. Oh yeah, I remember when I was treated like that. Yeah, exactly. So I was, I don't know, 23 or 24 years old at the time I was working in the real estate industry as an assistant for a woman. And, and so that was, that was my boss. Um, I remember feeling like overqual overqualified for the job in the first place. So it was already 
a, a sort of a, I had a negative association with it, but I could have pulled through for sure if it hadn't been for the way she, that she treated me. This was somebody who was cruel, demeaning, regularly made her employees cry, just, just made you feel like total crap. And like, you were just less than, and there was this one day that I remember her coming in. I have so many specific memories, but this one stands out. She came into the office. She said, Rachel, find the letterhead. And I'm like already on edge because I've never used letterhead in the nine months that I worked there. So I have no idea what she's talking about. So I'm like, okay, what letterhead? And she's like the letterhead. Like, like, okay, that's going to help. So I'm looking in computer files to print something out. I don't know where else to look. She's standing behind me, literally tapping her heel. And so I'm just embarrassed at this point, frantic, trying to figure out what she wants. And then after, I don't know, 10 seconds, she just let out this very loud sigh. She walked over to the corner of the office to this dusty shelf that I'd never used and pulled out letterhead from the bottom shelf. And she came up to me. And she held the letterhead probably five inches from my face and said, what do I even pay you for? Wow. So that was awful. I just remember like thinking to myself that I was, I shouldn't be there. You know, I was a bright, capable young woman. I could be doing so much more. And the fact that she could come in and just treat me that way day after day was so discouraging. Well, it's like, it's like the makings of a yeah. movie. I mean, it reminds me of like the devil wears it Prada, is. you know, that this doesn't happen in real life, That's but what it we, does. I think we have like it a nickname for her based on that character in the devil wears Prada. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I remember going to the bathroom and I don't think she made me cry that time, but she made me cry a couple of times. And one of those times I went to the bathroom to clean up and I looked at myself and I I just thought to myself, I am never going to let an employer treat me this way again. Like I deserve so much more than this. I'm never going to feel trapped by a job. I'm never going to feel trapped by finances. It's time for me to figure out my own way and become financially independent so that I never find myself here again. Yeah. And you did, you went and did it, which is what many of us can't do. We can't get unstuck from those tags. So, I mean, it sounds like you had a lot of courage, but what other tags did you put on that drove you through leaving that job, getting out of a, an abusive workplace environment and gaining the independence that you needed to do what you're doing now? I think I started out with tags holding me back. Tags like, I don't have enough money to you know, invest in real estate, for example, or I don't have enough knowledge or I don't have enough confidence. And I just reached a breaking point, especially with that boss and crying in that bathroom where I said, enough is enough. I cannot take this one more day. So I think the mm -hmm. new tag for me just became, I will do whatever necessary to achieve financial independence so that I'm never subjected to this again. So I, I think I just had this really big motivation or maybe, maybe more so a fear, you know, fear can be a big motivator to get myself yeah. out of that environment. Well, and courage can take us amazing places. I think that it's undervalued and it's not, it's not talked about enough. You yeah. know, we, we talk about a lot of things that are negative and a lot of things that are holding us back. But the two things that I don't think are being talked about enough is courage and resilience and courage really doesn't come from anywhere. We have to go searching for courage. We have to actually decide and just sort of chase courage. I don't think it's, 
you know, that's probably something that people could argue that there are people that are just incredibly courageous, but I think usually you see it in a place where they've had to overcome something. And so they appear very courageous to us. Yeah. And I think more times than not, I've faked courage in a way, like yeah. it didn't feel real to me. I had to work through feeling like a fraud, feeling like an imposter and I had to fake mm-hmm. it. But then once I did that and I, I got through that obstacle, then it felt real to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Absolutely. Well, I love what you're doing and I love the audience that you're serving. I think it's something that's not being talked about enough. And we are a generation that got hit really hard. So we've had a lot of financial struggle and we've also been told, go get educated, go take out student loans and you'll make all this money in this great economy. So tell me a little bit about what has the millennial generation run into as far as financial struggle goes? Oh my gosh, this is such a great question. I feel like the way we've traditionally saved for retirement and just operated in general is work your whole life, get a nine to five job, scrimp and save money so that by age 65, you have this nest egg and you can live off of that for the rest of your life. Okay. That's the way we've traditionally looked at it. And it it used to work really well. It did that, that worked in the past, but the thing is times have changed and our methods for achieving retirement have not. And that's the problem. For example, we are living longer. So that's more years of retirement we have to fund. The costs of college have ballooned, placing an enormous burden on our generation. And what's the most scary statistic is the fact that the Social Security Trust Fund is projected to be fully depleted by the year 2035. That is less than two decades away. So, you know, millennials, Gen Z, we can't even necessarily count on things like pensions or Social Security to live off of when we retire. That's pretty scary. There's a statistic now that says that millennials will need to accumulate at least $2 million by age 65 in order to retire. That is no easy feat. (laughs) I had this, I had a financial advisor meeting here about, I don't know, a year ago and it was so overwhelming. And I, you know, I feel that I've been pretty responsible with money. I was raised in a family that had a lot of good knowledge around finances and really raised us to be quite responsible. Going through single momdom definitely kind of you know, rattled that wave for me as you go through a lot of financial depletion when you go through a divorce and when you go through being the sole provider of a household. But I really, at the time that I met with her, felt like I'm not worried about this at all. And I was shocked at how overwhelming it was to see what she was wanting me to put aside and what I really need to do to get to the place where I can not only live comfortably, but maybe accomplish some of those dreams and achieve some of those wants that I want later in life. Oh my gosh, for sure. It's scary. I mean, it's like, how realistic is it for everyone to try to save $2 million by age 65? Like, I don't know many multimillionaires. So that's the problem that millennials are facing is that we're trying to stay on this track of traditional retirement when in reality, there's a much better way and that's passive income. And that's what I talk about now. Passive income is money that is earned with little to no ongoing work. Now it sounds too good to be true and it's not, (laughs) and it's definitely no get rich quick scheme. It does take time or money to create, but the epiphany I had several years ago is that once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, you're retired, you're financially independent. Mm. And to me, creating five or six or $8,000 a month in passive income felt much more attainable than trying to save up $2 million. Yeah. You accomplished this goal by the age of 27. That's shocking to me. Thank you. Thank you. 
What does that feel like? You're retired at the age of 27. You've achieved this goal. It happened so much faster than I thought. I'm, I mean, I can't believe that I was able to retire at age 27, let alone having such a big income stream. Now we've grown it to 15 grand a month, but it's really an amazing feeling. Um, you know, a lot of people say, Rachel, you're not retired. You're still working. And that is true. But the point is, you know, some people retire and they want to do the beach thing for the rest of their lives. And that's fine. I wish I could be more like that, to be honest, but I get bored so easily. That's my flaw. I can see that in you. <laughs> yeah. So like, I always want to be creating and building and helping people to my best ability. So what I get to do now is work for myself, essentially but I work when, where, and if I want. I don't have to work. I work because I want to, not because I have to. And that makes a world of difference. And you have the freedom now to do the things you want to do. I think so many of us, we want to complain when we are stuck in a job, we're not happy. We've got a boss who maybe doesn't appreciate us or maybe is abusive to us. And we feel that, that overwhelming feeling of stuck, but we're not willing to go do the uncomfortable thing to build the umbrella that will help us retire, that will help us have financial freedom so that we can go do the things we want to do. We feel as a generation that we don't feel like we have the freedom to go do what we want to do. And a lot of it's because we were sold this bill of goods. We were pushed into industries. Um, you know, a part of my story is I ended up in the accounting field and I am 99% extroverted. So you can imagine how poorly suited I was for the job that I did for 18 years. But this is a lot of us suffered this, I'll call it like cattling into different things where we were told, okay, you can make money here or you can have success here. You can climb the ladder here. And a lot of us are now stuck in situations where we're going, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know what else to do. And I don't have the money to do it. I totally agree. Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean it's, it's the right path for you. And here's what I love too about passive income. Not only can anyone do it no matter their age or their income, but it doesn't even necessarily have to be about quitting your job, right? Like some people love what they do. They really do find fulfillment in their career. For example, my sister is a postpartum nurse. And I once asked her, you know, if you won the lottery, a hundred million dollars, what would you do with the rest of your life? And she was like, I would still be a postpartum nurse. I love what I do. Oh, and cool. I know it was so touching to me. And what I realized from that is that Passive income doesn't have to be about quitting your job, but would $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 more per month make a positive impact in your life without give you the freedom to add in even more things that you love and find fulfilling? And I think for most people, the answer is yes. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Now, when I think of you know, financial, I'm the same way as your old beliefs. I, I think of a budget. I think of structure. I think of being incredibly disciplined not getting to have a lot of fun, yes, maybe, yes. you know, like not getting to do a lot of things. So I'm curious, you know, we, we're talking about freedom and passive income, but is there a point where it shifts from being budgeted and careful and cautious and disciplined to then having more freedom to spend? Like, are you able to be flexible at some point. Yeah, this is, I'm so glad you asked this B. So when I, I teach workshops sometimes and I will ask people, okay, if you're trying to save up money quickly, what sorts of things do you do? People will often say, I'll eat out less. I will make my coffee at home. I'll stop shopping. And all those things are so great. Those would be my top. Yeah. <laughs> those would literally be my top. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so those are great responses. And I noticed that there's a common theme. We are all focused first and foremost on decreasing our expenses. 
Now that's Mm -hmm. obviously important, right? Because we need to live within our means, but there's only so much you can do to decrease your expenses. You can't stop paying your mortgage payment. You can't stop buying groceries. So there's a little bit of a limit there. So I always tell people, if you really want to make an impact with your savings, with your budget, there's two things you can do. Number one is to decrease your expenses, but number two is to increase your income. And the beautiful thing about number two is that there's no cap on how much money you can make in a year. There's nothing stopping you from making more money. And the best part is you don't have to reduce your quality of life in order to save more money that way, in order to increase your income. So that's what I always tell people. If you want to make the biggest impact, do both. And you're right, B, in that you can move from the former to the latter. You might start out get, making more sacrifices that way so you can save more money. But as you build your income streams up, that gives you the flexibility to start spending more as well. So I never wanted to be one of those people who retired early. And there's nothing wrong with this. But I never wanted to do it so frugally that I had to watch every penny just to say, oh, I'm financially independent and I'm retired and I can live off three grand a month for the rest of my life. Like that works for some people. But I was like, no, I want to live it up. (laughs) I want to buy my dream house. Like I want to go travel. I want to take time off to hike and climb mountains. So that's why we aimed first for $10,000 a month in passive income. And now we've grown it to 15 grand. But I think that's the beauty of passive income is exactly what you said, not feeling constrained by a budget. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, and speaking of climbing mountains, my gosh, you moved to Colorado, what, six, in the middle of the pandemic in May? Yes. You you guys have been all over this state. You've seen, I'm speaking of travel. I mean, you guys really have, you've been, it seems like to every corner of the state of Colorado. And I'm just so impressed watching you. I live, I also live in Colorado, just for those of you who don't know. And I watch Rachel and I'm like, I've lived here 10 years. And she's like, she's living in the state, you know, she's really (laughs) living it up. So I love that you have time to have fun and you have the money to really do those things that mean something and matter to you. I'm curious, how do you put personal development into a budget as far as if I'm a millennial and I'm I'm feeling stuck and I feel like I don't have any money. I actually have a girlfriend going through this right now. She's expressed that there are several hundred, if not thousand dollars in the hole every month and they're really struggling financially and they don't feel like they see a way out and they'd really like to seek some counseling, but they, they know they can't afford it. So how does personal development fall into this bucket? Cause it seems like a lot of people, not just, not just millennials. I think this is kind of cross generational. Um, you know, a lot of people will say that they can't afford things that surround personal development. How, how do you speak into that? I think that's a great question and it's tough. I've, I've personally struggled with that because I'm the type of person where I can be a workaholic for sure. That's a tag. I'm workaholic. It's a tag. (laughs) (laughs) And I love what I do though. So I can work all day and feel great, but then that's not sustainable. Right. Right. I've run into the problem of developing stress and crippling anxiety that even led into depression at one point a couple of years ago. And I learned some important lessons from that because what I wasn't doing a good job of was prioritizing self-care. That was my problem. And when you think about kind of your values, everyone has different values. My husband and I talk about our values all the time, and we've decided what our three values are in in our marriage as a couple. Number one is health. Number two is family. Number three is freedom. Mm -hmm. But when you think about the money and the passive income streams, that's actually last in our values. And I've made the mistake of putting those in the wrong order and not taking care of my mental health enough. So I do think that should absolutely be the most important thing in your life. But I also don't think that you have to spend money 
to take care of yourself and to foster good mental health, right? There's, there's yeah. things like apps that are free that can help you meditate. You can write down three things you're grateful for at the end of the day in your journal for free. You can do yoga for free. So there's ways you can prioritize it that really don't have anything to do with money. I love that. That's such a valuable point that, you know, everything in our world feels like it costs money. And so I think oftentimes we overlook the things that are free, similar to speaking truth into what you're becoming. Like you were saying earlier in your affirmations, that's free, a hundred percent free. Um, and so if I have a course that I want to take, um, specifically yours, cause I'd love to take your course. Uh, um, oh, thank you. How, you know, how do I justify, how do I know what are the right things to spend money on? Mm. You know, how, I think you get into that, right? When you're on a budget, yeah. how do you decide what's of value and what's not? So there's a couple of things. If I'm, if I'm trying to decide whether to invest in a program like that, first of all, you have to make sure that the, the person running the program is legitimate because these days anyone can go call themselves like a life coach or a business coach online, but have they achieved the things you want to achieve? That's the question you got to know. So that's first and foremost to make sure it's really a legitimate program. Secondly, there's this quote I read recently, and it totally changed my perspective on when to invest in something like this. And it, it went something like this. You wouldn't wait to hire a tutor. You wouldn't wait for your grades to get up to hire a tutor. So you, you shouldn't wait for your finances to be in order to hire a financial coach. And I know it sounds counterintuitive, but sometimes the best time to hire a financial coach is when you're struggling the most with your money. I agree with that. Yeah. So a question you can ask whoever's running the, the course is, Hey, what, how much more money have the students made from this course? Like how much additional have they been able to save by taking this course? And then compare that to the cost of the course. So mine, for example, my course costs $297. I did a survey after my course takers went through the course. I said, how much more money did you save because of and during this course? And the average was $2,043. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's that's a 10x good return. <laughs> it's a good, right. So then you know, okay, that's a 10x return. Uh, this makes sense. Right. Like, actual sense C-E-N-T-S. <laughs> I love that. Well, and it's so interesting because to your point, it's, we have this scarcity mindset surrounding money, but we, if we choose the right things in the right programs, and I think the same can go for mental health. You know, I think if you go and, and seek a, the right type of therapy or the right type of coach for you, it can also move that scarcity mindset and those labels that you have that are blocking you from achieving the financial plus right? So you're saying the saving part, we kind of all get, but a lot of us have issues with this money mindset of making more of it. And I love how you put that because when you say it out loud, it's like, oh yeah, you can, you can just, you can just keep making more and more and more. There's no cap on it. So that's brilliant. Yeah. And I've really found that the biggest issue people have with getting their finances in order is just the ability to kind of take action and implement what they know. Because we all know in general what to do, right? We know to spend less money and to pay off our debts and to invest in the stock market. So why don't we do it? Because of, you know, fears that are holding us back. And because it's so hard to actually hold yourself accountable to doing the things you know you should be doing. It's just the whole self-discipline thing. That's where we struggle the most. So yes, if you're the type of person that can read a book and read free resources and take action, 
absolutely do that. But if you need more structure and support and accountability to make things happen, that's when maybe it's time to consider investing in a coach or, you know, group coaching or a program. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing this message with us today. It is so important. And in 2021, we don't know what's going to happen. This is the start of a new year. We have been faced with one of the most unique and challenging world problems we've ever seen happen. We don't know what's coming with the economy. We don't know what's coming with the stock market. We don't know what's coming with real estate. So this is the year for us to really focus on getting financially fit. And I just really appreciate you coming and sharing your knowledge. And honestly, like you're such a badass to have accomplished this at such a young age and just such an inspiration for us to look to you as a model to chase after and to exemplify our financial fitness behind. So thank you so much for joining the show. Yay. Thank you so much, B, for having me. Thank you for joining me on this New Year's Day. Happy New Year. I hope that 2021 ends up being the best year ever for you. And if you are needing to get your financial, sh you know, together, <laughs> grab Rachel's information in the show notes and drop her a quick note, letting her know how this episode affected you and is helping you get your tags related to finances removed into this new year. I will talk to you guys tomorrow.